0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. What does your faith cost you? We live in a place in the world where faith in Jesus costs you what? A friend, maybe? Relationships with other people? Ever cost you your job, your livelihood, your home, your family, your life? Welcome to America. It's pretty easy to believe in the Lord Jesus here. It's not so easy for the Apostle Paul. It's not so easy for a lot of people in this world. What happened to Paul was not just a dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus, but as a result of his conversion. Over time, he experienced a dramatic reversal of values. Even now, there are places in the world uh, that the Jewish man like Paul was turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and they lose their home and family. They're ostracized from their community. There are some uh, other cultures, not Jewish culture, but it costs you your life. You get killed by your family because of faith in Christ when Paul goes through this that's very much what happened to him we think well he was a, he was a Jewish bad guy for a while and then he come to Christ and now he's a superhero and that's just, just how it is and you know it's great for him and uh, you know not too easy not too, not too hard to think about but he gave up everything he gave up everything to follow Christ You remember how he described his advantages? We talked about this last week, for those of you who weren't here. Um, Back in verse 5 of this same chapter, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. This guy was on the top of the heap in his culture had every advantage a Jewish person could have in his day. He had attained all that the Jews had valued. But as it says in verses 7 and 8, that he counted all that as loss actually in verse 7, and that he continued to count it as loss in verse 8, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. And now if you're an English or grammar nerd, you can see the tense is different. Says in verse seven, I counted as loss. And in verse eight, I count everything as loss, as past, present, and future. You hear the old story about the past, the present, and the future going to a bar. It was pretty tense. <laughs> yep. Okay. I told you, right? Sermon I came, bad idea. <laughs> I think maybe a week off would be more appropriate than not go back to game. Now, why do you think it's significant that Paul said, I counted it all as loss and I continue to count it as loss? Isn't it already gone? For Paul, it's loss, right? You turn your back on that life and it's gone, right? How can you continue to count it as loss? Well, I think Paul has the same problem or... Opportunity, I guess, that all of us have. All of us, uh, uh, provided you were not born in the foyer of the church, which I think is uh, most all of us here, uh, at one time did not know the Lord Jesus. Some some been fortunate to at least, at least been raised with an awareness of the Lord, but a lot of us uh, might have been aware but didn't know Him personally, had not repented of our sin, that were not saved. Right, we have the same opportunity that the Apostle Paul had, he could go back to that old life. We could go back to that old life. He had to continue to count it as loss because he could have it all back. Was he still uh, Was he still circumcised on the eighth day? Yeah, that didn't change. Is the people of Israel? Yes, he's still that. Is the tribe of Benjamin? Yes, he's still that. The Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? They're at the top of the heap. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He could go back to be a Pharisee again. He's educated. He could get that job back. He could go back to persecuting the church, putting Christians to death for the name of the Lord Jesus. He could go back to being righteous under the law, be blameless right in the sight of men. He could have that all back. So could we. Wherever you were before, you could have it all back. You really think that's valuable? Well, Paul continued to count it as lust, and I hope that you will as well. He could renounce Jesus. He could deny him. He could get his good standing back in, in the Jewish community. His good standing, he could get with the Pharisees back. He could restore his good name, and all that he would have to do is deny Christ. But he wouldn't do it. He says in the second half of verse 8, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Scubala. It's like the goofy scholar's favorite Bible word. (laughs) Scubala. Because it's not a polite word. It's not a clean word. This is where Calvin's picture of the apostle on the ship comes back in. Now imagine that it's you on the boat and you have uh, the ship is sinking in a storm and the only way for you to survive is to throw off all your earthly treasures, all your earthly advantages. Would you rather go down with a ship heavily laden with all your riches and all your standings and all your friends or throw your treasure overboard and escape? Well, it's a dumb question, right? Of course, we're all going to say, no, I want to be saved. I'll throw it all away. Easy sitting here, isn't it? The answer is obvious. Of course, we throw it all overboard so that we could live. But Paul takes it a step further. And this is significant to me. I've read this verse a hundred times. Paul didn't give up his riches with a sigh. Oh, and I wish I could have them all back. Right? As soon as it was gone. He didn't complain about all he had to give up as he watched his sink out of sight. Goodbye, Pharisee. (sighs) Goodbye, righteous under the law. What a bummer. (laughs) He said that he, he had suffered the loss of all things and to count them as rubbish. Scubala. It means refuse, dung, human excrement. You were counting on hearing that this morning, weren't you? He didn't mourn for all his former advantages. He cast them off as offensive to him. He did not want them anymore. That's why the flush toilet was invented. We don't want it anymore. Put it out of sight. <laughs> Why is it funny? It's what the Bible says.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a royal flush. That's right. You think about that. Now, this is, where, this is where it got real personal for me. As I consider this text at camp this week... Uh, I had to ask myself, do I count my former advantages like refuse, as Paul did? Or do I still pine uh, over what used to be mine? See, this year at camp, um, I had to give up what was mine I've worked at Camp Mac for 23 years. Most of that time, I direct a camp. It's a very important ministry to me. And I can't do it anymore. I don't have the strength to chase everybody around and organize all the things and get all the staff and, and, and take care of all the details. I just can't do it anymore. So I ride around on a golf cart. So I don't get worn out and not able to talk anymore. And that's hard for me. So I'm not at the place where I'm thinking, Hey, working brain, scoobler, don't want that. I'm not there. But the Lord took that from me, gave me something else. Gave me just your brain to work a little different, that's all. You got to work around things. The Lord still works on me. I'm, I'm not there yet, and that's all right. The Lord is still working. And I'm willing to bet that if we all stop and think about it, I'm not the only one. Maybe you have some stuff that the Lord has taken from you, and you don't know why, and you miss it. Maybe, uh, maybe we just need to ask for more grace to grow us to the point where we can not just physically but emotionally cast off those things as rubbish and fully embrace the new direction that the Lord has for us all. For Paul, all of those external advantages that he once had were truly um, truly not advantages at all. Because the Lord had showed him that his right standing before God didn't have to do with his bloodline or his educational or religious pedigree. It didn't have to do with his effort in following the rules and doing all the right things culturally. It all depended on the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now let's look at the advantages that Paul gained when he cast off all that other scubula, that we too may gain those advantages through faith in Christ. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss, counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Having a righteous Guess what? When you really examined it, that other stuff was scuba. The first advantages that he gained was knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Think that's an advantage? If you're in church. If you say no, you probably get struck by lightning, right? I try not to make this too easy for you. Knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, this didn't mean that he just knew about Jesus. I read a pamphlet one time. So his name, yeah, I heard of him. I don't know. He really knew Jesus personally, and we too can know Jesus personally. We can learn about him in His Word, but we can also walk with Him in this life and the life to come. We can pray to him, we can ask him questions, we can ask him for help and for peace. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, we can walk with the Lord Jesus. We can know him for real. The second advantage, by gaining Christ, being found in him. Now this is interesting. What this means is that when Paul was examined by others, by God and by man, he would be found to be belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. In right standing before God through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone and not by any effort of his own, that advantage too is available to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By truly entrusting our lives to him, living in in constant pursuit of Him, when we stand before God in judgment, He will see us as His own. Not going to be wondering why we're standing there. He's not going to say, who are you? Right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, He will recognize us because we're His kids. And when we are examined by others in this world, there'll be no denying that we belong to Jesus. when our actions and our attitudes and our words and our behaviors reflect belonging to Jesus Christ and not belonging to the enemy, people will see that we belong to Christ. That's why they act so weird, right? Get up early on Sunday morning, not play golf or whatever, and they go to church and sing songs, and that's weird. It's because we belong to Jesus like to be together as his family knowing Jesus personally gaining a relationship with him and being found to be his own through faith in him results in the next advantage is in verse 9 sin not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith what a blessing that thriller is I'll think about that for a minute. Our right standing with God our Father is not even one-tenth of one percent dependent on our own effort. How about that? You want to be right from right with God? Don't do anything. You, you just get it. <laughs> no, 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 That's not how it works, right? There's no free lunch. Right, you got to work for it, right? I got to tell you, um, I was not always a pastor, right? Some of you know this. I so you should be a machinist. I used to work for a living. <coughs> I'm glad you're laughing, <laughs> right? When I first go to ministry, I was a youth pastor, and they go, um, uh, leave home, leave a job, sell a house, blah blah blah, go off to ministry. Um, and when we start uh, uh, working for church, people used to give us gifts. Like, here's a card, because it's Tuesday. And there's fifty bucks. I say, excuse me. I don't need your charity. I work for a living. I don't need you give me any gifts. I don't didn't I didn't do anything to deserve that. Right. That's the point. It's a gift. If that's what righteousness through faith is. It's a gift. We don't. No, you didn't do anything to deserve that. But you do need it. Our right standing with God our Father, not one percent, one tenth, to one percent based on, on our work. It's not dependent on our heritage. It's not dependent on our history or our education or our pedigree or our religious efforts or how many old hymns you have memorized or how many scriptures you've got written down inside of your brain. It's not dependent on any of that. None of that makes us even the slightest bit acceptable to God. We are none of us good. None of us are acceptable to God. Okay? We are the scubala. But by God's grace, He forgive us through faith in Him. If you can't say amen to anything in this world, say amen to that. Amen. You once were lost, but now you're found. Amen to that. You were once dead. And now, through faith in Christ, you can be alive. Going to camp, we, um, we often have to talk about uh, campfires. They're an unfortunate reality when it comes to camp. Because it's always towards the end of the week. Everybody is exhausted. And then the crying begins. <laughs> and so often, and now you got camp coded back here. So, watch out for campfires. I'm just saying... <laughs> Very dangerous business. We joke and call it emotional manipulation. We want to make sure everybody cries and come to Jesus by the time a week is over, so we better have a fire on Thursday night. It's a formula. What's happened, and of course this isn't 100%, but it is 99.9, uh, that you go to a campfire and someone started to tell their story about how rotten they were and how uh, through Christ now they're new a new creation have been forgiven. I used to, you know, sell drugs and and eat live rats and kill babies. And now, through faith in Christ, I, you know, I'm new. Right? So, well, if you used to eat live rats, I used to eat dead rats. You know, and, and you start to, like, you make things up. Right? And unfortunately, there's been some, some pretty prominent authors, Christian authors, make up bad testimony. Used to be in devil worship, and now... I turn my back on all that and blah, blah, blah. and can sell a lot of books. We don't need to puff up our testimony. We used to be dead, and now we're not. I mean, eating rats? Who cares, right? You were once dead, and now you're alive through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's good enough. That's not in the notes. This is what happens. The only way that anyone who has ever lived or is living or ever will live is made acceptable to God is not by his own work or her own work. The only way they're made righteous before God is through faith in Jesus Christ in his life and death and resurrection. That that it was his perfect life offered up freely on the cross to take our place for our sin and not for his own. That he was that... that He was raised to life to declare us innocent. Faith in that Savior is what makes a person declared righteous before God based on His finished work on the cross and not anything that we could ever do. That's a pretty distinct advantage, my friends. Because when we're left to ourselves to work off our sin, you can't do it. You can't do enough. You never could. So that's a terrific advantage that way. What are the advantages in verses 10 and 11? Bad news, we're only halfway through. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, we don't uh, first blush. That doesn't sound like advantages there suffering, death. By knowing Christ personally, through faith and walking with him continuously, Paul experienced the power of Christ's resurrection in him. And so can we. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, those of us who have faith in him. It's at work when we walk with him and serve him. That's his power. You know what my power does for me? It doesn't even get me out of my house. It doesn't get me down here to talk to you about the Lord Jesus. My power doesn't do that. I can't pay my power bill. I have nothing. None of you do. None of us do. It's only Christ's power at work within us that we're able to do anything good or do anything for the Lord. It's the same power, that power of the resurrection, that allows us to say no to sin. Do you know that? When the resurrected Lord works and lives inside of you through faith, you have the power to say no to sin. How about that? That's Christ's power, the power of his resurrection at work in you. It's the same power that gives us the words to say to our neighbors when we talk about the Lord. Your power talks about his sport. Your power talks about the weather. God's power talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same power that's at work in us as we follow his leading and prompting to step out of our comfort zones for him. To not be content to just roll through life and wait for the day we die. Or wait for the trumpet to blow and Christ come back. And we're just sitting around waiting for that to happen. There is power within us that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He wants us to use it for Him. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just sit on that power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who is alive and well and at work in His church. The only thing that slows Him down is through all the church. So let's let Him loose and let Him work through us. This is the power that brings hope to hopeless situations. And brings victory from defeat. And brings life from death. Paul also shared in the sufferings of Christ. And this is a tremendous advantage. We don't often think of suffering as blessing, do we? Or if we do, we do it with an eye roll. Oh yes, praise the Lord for my suffering. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh-huh. Right? Right? The early church counted it as a blessing to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? Peter and John, you remember them? They go and get beat up for the Lord. And what do they do? Man, I wish we hadn't got beat up today. They praise the Lord for being counted worthy to suffer for the name. That's what the Bible says. Do we count it uh, a joy? <laughs> Man, I told somebody about Jesus and you should have heard the things they say to me. It's suffering for the Lord, for his name. It's an honor. It's a blessing. When we suffer, we are given the great advantages of empathy for others, for others who suffer, that we may comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from good. Like, I know I talk funny. I have an aunt who has a stroke uh, and she had a facial like me. She's the only one that gets to laugh at me. Well, you guys do, but you don't have permission. <laughs> she does. <laughs> because she can not empathize with me, right? She couldn't talk at all, and she learned to do it again. And her speech is better than mine now. Plus, she paddled a kayak with one hand, and that's a sight to see. We, we can comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received from God, right? And if you've never suffered anything, it's really hard to empathize with anyone who's suffering. Not impossible, but it's hard. Paul also wished to become like Jesus in his death. Now, I don't believe that in this statement that Paul is saying that he wanted to die at that moment. He had talked about that in a passage previous to this one. Um, But I don't think he's saying he wants to die at this moment. But rather, like Jesus, he wanted his life and death to have meaning, to have a purpose, that he would accomplish God's purpose for him while he was still here on earth and accomplish something in his death, whatever and whenever it happened. And I don't think anyone here would wish for anything different. Don't we want our life to have purpose and have a meaning? But Paul also had his eye on the life to come. He says there in verse 11 that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, you could get hung up on this uh, fairly easily, but I don't want you to read this as Paul's doubt that uh, Paul was doubting his claim on the resurrection. He's not. Um, He's going to be resurrected. We are going to be resurrected. We die. When Christ comes back, we will be raised to life, either to judgment or to eternal life. This statement merely shows his humility in view of the resurrection. Paul's humility. The important point is that he has the resurrection in view at all. Do you? you? Go through life thinking about the resurrection? I'm guessing not. I, I, all right. I'm the only one, and you guys have it all right. I forgot. This is a sermon to me. <laughs> the important point is that he has the resurrection in view when it comes to how he thought of whatever his external advantages or disadvantages might be. C.S. Lewis said that it's because Christians think so little of the next world that they are so ineffective in this one. Right? We're risking it all for Jesus. Right? No, you're not. You risk it all by not work for Jesus. Right? Because what we have coming, what we have waiting for us, what Jesus is preparing for us even now at this moment, it puts all this to shame. It puts all our advantages to shame. We get to new buddy. We get to like be face-to-face with the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Uh Yeah but we'd rather have all the bills paid, right? And a comfortable house with air conditioning, and maybe even a church with air conditioning. (sighs) I guess I've gone all through this stuff to be able to get us all to ask one simple question of ourselves. What is the most important thing about you? What is the most important thing about you? What do you value the most? And the answer to that question defines what we do. It will define what we refuse to do. It defines what we are willing to expel from our lives like scubala. It defines what we are willing to throw overboard so that we might live. Not heave it overboard with a sigh of remorse and and miss it all the way to the bottom. But with a sigh of relief. Because it's hold us back from doing what God wants from us. And I want to leave you with that question. What is the most important thing about you? And I want you to true, I want to challenge you to truly consider it. Think about that. What is really the most important thing about me? Don't just leave it here when you leave here today. The reality is there may be something that God is trying to save you from that you've been holding or something that you have been holding yourself back from. Something he's calling you uh, to that your attachments may not be allowing you to explore. I don't know and I'm not going to guess. Cha- I just want to challenge you to consider because the last thing we want to do is cling to treasure that's just going to kill us and drag us down to the bottom with it. Amen? Say amen with a question mark. I'm think about that. Let's pray. Father, this is a real challenge for me. I'm sure it is uh, for for most people here. To think about what is that's truly uh, valuable about us or valuable to us. And, of course, I, I think we all kind of get the Sunday school answer. What's the most important thing about us is obviously Jesus. But do we act that way? Do we live that way, Lord? I just pray that your Holy Spirit would would help us examine ourselves. And that you would shine your light in those dark places that we're kind of hiding. So that we may know you. Know the power of your resurrection. Share in your suffering and be like you in your death. That by any way possible, by any means, we might attain the resurrection from the dead. And truly enjoy our eternal life with you. Because uh, we're not missing the things we're left behind. Lord, we love you. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for the challenge of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire 03890.